What happens when two former political staffers, one Labour and one Tory, meet? And become surprisingly good friends. Introducing the After Party Podcast. A comedy podcast about ideas, politics and truthfully an unlikely friendship. With me, Sarah Southern. And me, Chloe Green. Welcome to the After Party Podcast. Hello, welcome to the apocalypse. I mean, the After Party Podcast. Oh, Chloe, how are you? I'm all right, but it's absolutely bizarre. We should probably tell our listeners that we are doing this via a kind of FaceTime audio recording situation. Yeah, so normally I- we come to my flat and record it, and this time you're sat in your little house and I'm sat in my little house because we are following the guidelines and social distancing. Yes, we are indeed. We're being very sensible and, yeah, we've we've been encouraged by Boris Johnson to stay at home. So, <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll take that encouragement. Um, Sarah, how are you feeling about all of this? How's your week been? I'm, I'm feeling mixed, if I'm honest. It's quite strange as last Friday when you were here, you know, we kind of slightly joked like, oh, well, we might not see each other next week. And then that's come true. And even last week, I was still feeling quite optimistic that this was almost like a flash in the pan. And then over the weekend, it suddenly dawned on me how serious it all was. And then on Monday, when that um, press conference was held in in Downing Street, when the Prime Minister gave a briefing, I was like, right, this is really serious. Our lives are about to completely change. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've, I don't want to say I've adapted quickly, as I haven't really, but I'm prepared for it. Like I've... I've got enough food in, I've got enough, like, loo roll, like, everything. I've not I've not stockpiled, uh, but I'm kind of ready. I, but it is strange, like, I've not touched another human being since Saturday, and that's a oh, bit weird. Oh, that is so weird. That is really weird. Like, I feel very, very, very fortunate that I live with my girlfriend, and we're obviously kind of doing this together. Like, neither of us have anywhere else we would go. Like, I'm hearing some couples, like, one of them's, like, escaped to the country to live with their, like, parents or whatever for a few weeks. But that's like... naughty. People shouldn't be doing that because then you're taking the disease out of London. Out of London. I know, I know, I know, I know. But, yeah, exactly. Like, some, some partnerships are being, like, split up for that reason. And, like, yeah, neither of us think that that's a good shout or, like, would even really have that option. So... Um, we are very fortunately together, so I am still getting like human contact, but yeah, very limited otherwise. It's so weird, isn't it? Like I, I know it's going to be so boring for people to listen to this because like everyone is just having the same conversations with all of their friends and family over and over and over again. But like, we are in this most strange, unprecedented times. Like I've never experienced anything like this, nor as most people, I guess, is nothing like. I mean, people are saying it's like a wartime, um, you know, kind of blitz esque, but like. It just doesn't compare. Like, I saw one hilarious tweet that was, like, um, people who say things like, oh, but the theatres and the cafes and bars stayed open during the Blitz. It's like, yeah, but you can't catch the Blitz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> contagious. Like, it's not the same. Like, it's the kind of same spirit, sure. Like, we all need to pull together and stuff. But this is never... this. Yeah, we don't really have... We haven't had anything like this in modern times. So I think our whole way of life is going to radically change. And, like... Yeah, it just, it seems like bit by bit, we're becoming a bit, maybe a bit more aware of that. Like at the start, again, same as, same as you, Sarah, like I was sort of optimistic and thinking, yeah, we can, we can get through this in a few weeks. And now it's like, you know, I just had like a Sky News, like urgent, you know, update or push notification that says, 
you know, social distancing would need to be in place potentially for most of a year, says government advisors. Well, that really kind of impacts our industry, as listeners know, both Chloe and I are comedians. I would imagine all of your gigs for the next few months have been pulled, as certainly all of mine have. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, like some people I think are still like hanging on for, you know, government um you know official advice to shut shop or close which means that they can then hopefully claim sort of force majeure on um but the uh, government on... have already, this is what i find really confusing the government made it so clear as did the chancellor on tuesday our announcement yesterday triggers your insurance this is the the information you need for your insurance to trigger but the problem is not all insurers would have that clause for force majeure or uh, act of god within their policies. So unfortunately, that won't cover some businesses. Yeah, I mean, that's like, oh, sorry, a lot of noise on my end. Uh, my right. friend just, uh, just shut a door very dramatically. <laughs> she can take a phone call and not disturb me. But in turn, in doing so, made more noise. So <laughs> that's Oops. all right. That's all right. Um, but yeah, I think like the the thing about insurers is that yeah they they won't necessarily have that clause and therefore yeah we could be like like people like us our our industry promoters venues small businesses they could be like truly screwed if their insurance wouldn't even cover this anyway and I think like after this you know incident we're gonna have to really reassess like how financially stable our industry is and how we like collectively put in more measures or like insurers have to step up or government has to step up to ensure that the arts and culture doesn't completely tank. One thing that I've thought, because I've worked in the arts for several years and having worked in politics and then gone into arts, one of the things that has always struck me is the lack of a united voice when it comes to the arts. And when I first started working in the arts after I'd done my MA I used to go to a lot of talks where this would occasionally come up and then a body was established called um, the Creative Industries Federation and it was supposed to act as a united voice in the same way the CBI uh, acts for business or the Federation of Small Businesses acts for small businesses but the problem is the creative industries is so huge so it goes from fashion through to video games through to comedy, through to literature, through to arts, through to theatre. Like, it's so big. And whenever Mm. I'd go to these meetings, there would just be such conflicting views and there was never really a consensus. And it used to frustrate me so much. So I'd be like, you just need someone who can stand up and really fight for the cause. And it doesn't matter that it doesn't necessarily cover everyone, but if it covers the majority of the creative industries, then that is going to be good for most people who who are in this situation because of course the airlines are going to get bailed out of course the trains are going to get bailed out because they've got a strong voice whereas the creative industries haven't got that strong voice haven't necessarily got that seat at the table Mm. which is such a shame because it breaks my heart that theatres will probably not survive this that take somewhere like the ENO uh, which the English National Opera that has had huge financial problems for years and years and years and keeps being restructured and they keep trying to find new ways of doing it something like this could completely finish them off yeah 
I think like it's really interesting that there's been a lot of calls I've seen from like promoters and comedians that like we uh, we've been saying this for years but like comedians and comedy really needs to get brought under the arts council England absolutely you know yeah sort of umbrella because it is an art form we do reach a lot of like otherwise hard to reach communities and people who you know otherwise might not engage with art and culture like there's so much work that comedians do for like accessibility Mm. inclusive being creative imaginative like really innovative stuff like and and for yeah we've just sort of been left out in the cold really and we don't have a kind of body who funds our project or looks after us in any way i mean equity i guess is like a performers union but it's much more geared towards like actors um and you know other entertainment industries yeah comedy is a a real i guess a bit of an outlier isn't it absolutely absolutely what's your thoughts on whether the edinburgh fringe should go forward or not i mean obviously that is in august but the way things are looking at the minute, schools probably won't return to school until September. They're saying it'll be probably be 12 weeks before we're over the peak of the disease, which would take us to June. So you have to wonder, would people really want to go and sit in a sweaty basement with 20 other people on a cold Wednesday afternoon in August in Edinburgh? I mean, that's the thing about the Edinburgh Fringe, right? Like, it's not like any other festival like you know a Glastonbury or a Latitude or whatever where yes you get people in like close quick close conditions but actually like there's still a lot of like fresh air and you know you're still outside primarily Edinburgh Fringe as you say is like venues that are like not even well ventilated considering how warm it gets in Edinburgh in summer which you know is not warm at Mm. all if people are already like stinking the place out and feeling hot and sweaty and sticky because you know you're usually in some kind of like pop-up repurposed office which has one window and a tiny desk fan and there are 50 people crammed in there that's certainly how the lol word was in 2018 anyway um yeah you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna actually want to be in that circ- in in that kind of environment anyway as you say I don't know if it's like uh, you know I don't know if it's a case of like should it go ahead or should it not go ahead because I just don't know I can't make that kind of call I don't know enough about the science but like looking at how things are going it's just becoming increasingly less likely that it's that it's even plausible because of exactly that reason who would come even if it were allowed to go ahead if venues were even allowed to be open to the public but like again we're all forking out thousands of pounds like I had a had an email from my agent this week saying like just bear in mind your financial commitments and if you haven't made any yet for Edinburgh you know bear in mind that you might not want to just yet just hang on tight but I'd already paid my accommodation you know a week before I'd already committed to that expense and like that's just money that we're never going to see again because we won't be able to get, you know, a refund with with accommodation with unscrupulous landlords or Airbnb hosts or whatever. So yeah, I mean, just the money that we're all going to be out is is really excessive. It and is it's, hard, isn't it? Because as much as I feel as though everyone should get a refund, I do also feel sorry for people who this might be their main source of income. It's you know it's really difficult. Um, I hate the thought of you being out of pocket, but that could be the main business of the person you've rented the the accommodation from. Like it's a really tough line to to balance up, isn't it? 
I think, to be honest, I'm never particularly going to feel sorry for landlords because <laughs> in Edinburgh especially, um, I don't believe that all cops are bastards, but I believe that all landlords are bastards. Yeah, it's fair my, enough. <laughs> I'm, trying to get, um, I'm trying to get a lab rather than a cab um, mm-hmm. going as a, as a trend. But yeah, like I, I genuinely believe that like Edinburgh's landlords, when it comes to and sort of how, um, uh, what am I trying to say? They're fairly um, unscrupulous at times. Like, oh my god! They, like, it's just wild. for background it's... to listeners. Normally during Edinburgh, you can expect to t- pay four to five times the normal rent for any other month, uh, which is very unfair because it really hits the performers badly. Uh, because you will make a loss. In fact, you might make less in your show than you would do the amount of money you're paying in rent for the month. It's it's a challenging time for sure. If a, if, a, if a normal Edinburgh flat, say like a three-bed or four-bed flat or something, if a normal month's rent would be something like, I don't know, like, yeah, £1,200, £1,500 or whatever for the whole thing, you can expect to pay £1,500 per room for the month, right? So that's why people end up like sharing a bed and then sharing the room with somebody else so someone's on the floor for the month because you're having to do £1,500 for a month you know three ways rather than just just taking that on the chin yourself and th- and that means of course that like you, as a landlord you go from getting the 1500 pounds or whatever a month which you know covers your mortgage and then you make a bit of profit to thousands of pounds in profit in one fell swoop like i'm not going to feel guilty for you know taking that money back off of a bloody landlord who whether they're like a decent person or not has risen their rent in line with the rest of the market and they needn't have done. Like, I, yeah, I, they I, have been motivated by greed. That's for sure. That is exactly, for sure. Exactly. So, well, we'll probably find out. I reckon with Edinburgh in the next couple of weeks as to whether it's going to happen or not. Uh, I would imagine that Nicola Sturgeon, uh, the first minister of Scotland, will probably say to them, "You've got to switch this off." I would imagine that the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Edinburgh Fringe, Edinburgh Festival Fringe rather, will be under pressure from various uh, venues and um, promoters and such like to make a decision mm-hmm. because people don't want to be sending their performers up there unprepared because the other problem is normally when you take a show to Edinburgh you've previewed it several times at different festivals around the country well all the big festivals ahead of Edinburgh have been cancelled so a lot of people will be taking a show that hasn't had its uh, full rehearsals which obviously is a bit of a problem exactly it's all the stuff that goes into it which like makes it a more yeah like a more finished product when you get to edinburgh because yeah edinburgh is supposed to be like the the big kind of crescendo of, of for a show brighton fringe has just been paused this week um mac comedy fest yeah. in wales yeah. has been pulled and they're like two big ones where people tend to preview their shows so it's a re- it's a really really difficult time. Um, Sarah, I was going to ask you. I'm interested to see what you have to say about this. Like, what do you think about the kind of communications from Downing Street this week? You know, we've had the Boris Johnson's daily press conferences, which is a new feature. Um, what what are you making of all of that? I think it's good actually. Um, I've now limited myself to watching the news once a day because I was getting a little bit uh, too absorbed and too overwhelmed and just too much. So I now limit myself to just watching that briefing, uh, which is about 4.45, 5 p.m. each day. 
-hmm. I felt that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the Prime Minister really got the tone right. I felt having the Chancellor there on Tuesday was very good. Uh, you know, the closure of schools announcements came on Wednesday. And then yesterday, for some reason, the Prime Minister just was very odd and I didn't like the tone that he had at all. And I actually ended up switching it off because I felt as though he was suddenly very blasé. Now, I don't really want to be too critical of anybody at the moment because I think it must be absolute hell to be dealing with this situation. And I do think all members of parliament, all members of the House of Lords have got to pull together and work in a united way to sort this out. However, Boris needs to keep to the um, attitude that he had on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and whatever happened yesterday needs to be thrown out the bloody window. So when he comes to the, um, the briefing today, he needs to be back to being serious. People need a really serious voice. If you look at the unbelievable speech that Leo Vradka, the Irish Prime Minister, no, he's not the Prime Minister of Ireland, sorry, the Irish Taoiseach, um, yeah. gave earlier this week, so measured, so calm, so serious, like a true leader. He kind of felt very JFK-esque almost. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've actually been quite impressed with it. And I think... I was really impressed by Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, on Tuesday with the measures that he's announced. Um, and I know that obviously a lot of the, the things that he was announcing, like grants that uh, businesses can get, the suspension of business rates, which is obviously really important to the entertainment sector, as that will probably keep them alive by not having to pay for that. But everything is happening so rapidly that not all of the information is there. And I don't think that's their fault. I think that's just a reality. If you're suddenly going to say we're changing all of the rules around benefits, you can't just change that in half an hour. That is going to take a few days. If you decide to allow banks to give special loans to businesses because of the virus, you're obviously going to have to deal with the banks and make sure everything's set up. So I know that everyone is very tense and very anxious and very nervous but I do also think people just need to kind of breathe and accept that we are only five days into this new way of life I guess and mm -hmm. as time goes by I think more information will come out more things will be sorted but just looking at those people who've been at the dispatch box they look as though they've not slept uh, they look as though they're working 24 hours a day you know certainly that chief medical officer Chris Whitty who I believe um, dealt with the Ebola crisis as well. So he's used to dealing with this kind of intense um, disease situation. He looks absolutely exhausted. So absolute credit and kudos to all of the people who are trying to sort this out. Yeah, I think, I think it's certainly fair to say that no you know no politician or civil servant or you know chief medical scientific officer whatever none of these people are imagining that this is going to be like an easy ride or that they'll have all the answers immediately i wouldn't expect that of them and i'm not um i'm not going to sort of pile on loads of criticism for you know just to be churlish kind of thing and be partisan about it because yeah it's a, it's a hideous ordeal and i don't think anybody would really be like capable of um, you know, doing like a wonderful, um, perfect job at this time. Of course not. I would say that my um, criticism is that the comms from Downing Street is 
shambolic. Like the amount of briefings which are going out to favoured journalists behind a Telegraph online paywall or going out to Robert Peston on a Sunday evening blog. You know, like it's just unreal the amount of information that's coming out of of different sources and how quickly it ends up contradicting itself. I'll give you an example. So on Sunday, there was the, I mentioned Robert Peston. He's the ITV's chief political journalist. He released a blog in the evening that said that all over 70s and people who are medically vulnerable, they will be forced into quarantine for 12 weeks. Now, this is significant news. I mean, we're talking like a significant chunk of the population. We're talking, you know, a lot of the people in our generation, all of our parents, all of our grandparents, like lots and lots and lots of people will be severely affected by this. And that's a really frightening measure, Um, especially if you're, you know, 70, 75, whatever, but you're still fighting fit and you live a very active lifestyle. Some Some of those people are still at work, for goodness sake. So this is really significant, right? That got released on a bloody blog on an on an, on the ITV political journalist blog and that was it and it was a number 10 source a government source who'd said that it wasn't a leak it was literally a conversation that Robert Pesson had had with an official source but it wasn't released on any other on any other platform it wasn't like we'd heard it directly from Boris Johnson there was no televised because of that yet. hasn't been announced like nobody has been put into 12 weeks of quarantine well, exactly. So it's like but that's why that's we... how, but that's how everything works all the time. Because Robert Peston will have had a chat with someone who is a junior minister, and he'll say, "Crumbs, things are difficult. It looks as though what we might have to do in the future is this." And then Robert Peston's written it up as though it's gospel. Unfortunately, that's how the lobby works, which is why the prime minister has now put these five pm briefings so that everything is structured and all the announcements come from there. I think it'll change the way that political reporting happens because I think the public will get used to these types of briefings and will want them in the future. Yeah, I think that's fair. But like, I think in a time where there is mass public panic, having government sources, even having those supposedly off the record or on the record whatever conversations with a variety of different journalists who then because because politicians have conversations with journalists all the time that don't go any further they can say this is off the record do not publish this this is iris- it will be irresponsible journalism for you to publish it you know there is like a bit of a it's a sexist phrase but a bit of a sort of gentleman's agreement about that a lot of the time in politics and like that's just not being extended at the moment. And yes, Robert Peston perhaps shouldn't have published it, but it seemed to be in the public interest because it was coming from an official government source on record. So my concern is why are there lots of different conversations and briefings happening that completely contradict each other? Because that never came to anything. So of course, I read that and thought, Jesus Christ, I'll get ahead of the curve. I'll contact my parents who are within that category of people who would be, you know, forcibly quarantined. I'll tell them to, you know, get some shopping in because we don't know when this is going to happen. It caused just so much strife for like a lot of people. And then, of course, it's come to nothing. And I think the same thing is going on with like yesterday, Boris Johnson said within 12 weeks, we can turn the tide on this. Today, Sky News is saying that we're going to have to, that government advisors, again, official line is government advisors saying that we have to social distance um for most of the year like this is just a chaotic comm strategy and i think that boris johnson doing daily 
briefings is good and important but at that stage he does unfortunately need to have all of the answers to the questions that they were inevitably raised otherwise they create more harm than they're good i do think though it's very difficult because it's an ever-changing situation like if we have no deaths today and no deaths for the rest of the week then it'll change if we have 200 deaths today then it'll change again i think this is the difficulty because it is a disease it's not a flood where you you know that it's happened and it's over this is something that can mutate and move and i guess one of the other problems is it is mother's day on sunday so some people might be going out for lunch or whatever with their mothers so i'm hoping that they do shut all the pubs and restaurants properly Mm. to stop people going out yeah i think yeah that I mean, that makes sense. Like, the thing is, though, like, it wouldn't make any difference if 200 people died today versus, you know, the amount it went up by yesterday, because the trajectory is is really clear on this. Like, if you look at any of the other countries where this has been significant, like, even closer to home, like Italy and Spain, let alone kind of looking at China and South Korea, etc. Like, the the it's like a hockey stick, right? It like goes along and then it just goes woof straight up. So like, we know the trajectory. It doesn't really make a difference. Like, Boris Johnson doesn't need to wait to see how many people die today. To no, I'm not, I wasn't saying he's going to do that. I'm saying that the disease does impact how we're dealing with it. Like, if there is a huge spike in deaths, I think they will say, right, no one's following our foot advice properly. Therefore, we are going to completely shut everything. Or they're going to shut the tubes or shut the trains. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I more mean. Yeah, but I think it's just... I mean, like, I personally just think it's irresponsible to wait until we see how many people die in so order what would to... So what would, if, you, if you were Boris today, what would you announce today? Would you shut all of London down? <laughs> I mean, I am not in any way allowed or I wouldn't be recommended for me to make that kind of shout because, you know, I worked in politics for a few years, but I was like the pleb who was on Twitter. You know, like, I was the person who did all our digital comms. Like... It shouldn't be up to us to decide how we would do things differently or better because we're literally not capable. I just think that having a shambolic comm strategy is never a good plan and you need to have like serious discipline with comms when it comes to something like this, which causes mass hysteria. It causes them. It causes businesses to crash overnight. It causes the pound to dip and, you know, plummet. It's it's all over the place. Like that's what you need that kind of like, really level-headed serious states states personally kind of behavior which i don't think boris is in any way like capable of i just don't think he's that type of leader unfortunately he's the kind of guy who's always been a bit shambolic and it's just sort of worked for him and it's all very charming but that's not what you need in these sorts of times and i think that like having a a comm strategy or having you know so many rogue people speaking kind of out of turn really to various journalists the knock-on effect of like the health of the nation be it physical or mental is really severe and like that's just that's just unconscionable that's irresponsible as i I said this morning to my friend come back cameron all is forgiven (laughs) come back gordon brown that's what she said that was her response to me she said no come back gordon brown all is forgiven (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly like the the kind of like 
the amazing intervention that Gordon Brown has had this week, um, you know, speaking about businesses and speaking about employees and, and workers, etc. Again, just like so measured, so calm, so completely in control, really authoritative and capable and intelligent. Just, oh, my God. So what are you going to be doing when you're in isolation? Because I'm assuming you're going to be following the advice of the government and not going out, predominantly staying in, only going out for essentials. So what are you going to be using your time with when you're at home? I mean, working. Like, I, I just have a job where I've been working from home for, you know, the last kind of eight months anyway, really. Um... We have an office, but we don't always go in. We still primarily are like a remote team. So, yeah, I mean, life will obviously be very, very, very different and strange because it just inherently is. But um, personally for me, like my my working life will kind of continue. Weirdly, I'm trying to buy a shared ownership flat at the moment. So I am going through the process of buying a goddamn flat at a time when I probably won't be able to like get anything delivered to it or move into it physically. So that's a bit of a strange one. How about you? Well, um, a, a number of my work um, commitments uh are no longer committed for a little while because of the closure of venues and such like. Um, but yeah, I'm going to use the time to, I don't know, watch all of Netflix, uh, read some books. Um, I have got various uh, calls scheduled in with friends to kind of keep in touch with each other and check on each other. Uh, so yeah, it, it's. I think when you live on your own, you're quite used to your own company. Mm. But one of the difficult things is that you're not seeing anybody. You're not physically in somebody else's company. And that, I think, is a bit strange, especially, you know, you and I gig quite a lot. So even if you're not out with your own friends, you're out entertaining other people's friends. So it's a bit strange in that regard. Uh, But it will be fine. Like, people have survived worse. I mean have I guess in like war situations and of mm-hmm. course like you know like refugees and asylum seekers exactly. like they've they you know those those people have gone through hell and high water and remain in like horribly unsafe conditions for like really extended periods so you know huge fucking respect for anyone that can you know just work in just hideous conditions and like keep the faith like you know, a new kind of awareness and recognition of that has certainly dawned on, I think, a lot of us. But yeah, I think, I mean, we have survived worse, but I do think this is really bloody bad. And I do, you know, I do want to come back to the point that like the government seriously need to step up in terms of like communicating how the nation is supposed to get through this. You know, I need more, I need more leadership from our leaders, to be honest. Do you not agree? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, I just... I don't know, I just think the whole thing is so dreadful that I am having, for a short period of time, I'm having a a little bit of leeway with them because it must just be hellish waking up in Downing Street and thinking, oh my God, how on earth are we going to deal with this today? Uh, I did see Matt Hancock, the health secretary, on one of the television programmes this morning at breakfast time. And I thought, yeah, he's really measured. He's answering all the questions. He's taking the criticism on the chin. He, yeah, he he really struck me as someone who is who I want to have as the health secretary at the moment to deal with this. 
I mean, I, to- I, I, I respect that and I value that contribution. I completely disagree. I think Matt Hancock is an absolute little snake. <laughs> well, interestingly though, John- Jonathan Ashworth, the Shadow Secretary of State for Health, is totally supportive of his of what he's doing. So you know, they're working in collaboration. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, collaborative working like across the aisles is absolutely vital now. Like there's no, yeah, like, as I said at the top, like there's no need to be, um, you know, partisan right now. I think like being a critical friend is like important. But yeah, otherwise, like, you know, just bloody get on with it kind of thing. I think that like the the thing that I've always, well, I've just I've always been conscious of is like how the Tories like have over the course of a decade, like hideously defunded the NHS um and now now when we need it more than ever it's 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 crunch time for the nhs and of course we don't have the resources and people will die like people will not survive this because we don't have the with the resources to do so like we're seeing in italy and italy has a sort of better funded health service than we do from what i've understood from uh, commentators i don't know those numbers myself but i'm trusting some commentators on that like the, the the health service there are having to make decisions about you know we don't have enough ventilators so do we help somebody who's 70 or do we help somebody who's 33 and they'll choose the 33 year old because you know they have to make that kind of decision and i think we're going to get potentially to that place with the nhs because yeah we're going to have to make horrible hideous decisions because the nhs is so underfunded i do also take the point that like ventilators are just we just don't simply we haven't made enough of them because we've never needed enough of them so these really are extraordinary times you know this is a once in a hundred year uh incident so um i mean i have no idea how frequently ventilators are needed in normal life so (laughs) but yeah it does seem we're not quite what where we need but yeah that's that. That is fair. That is fair and true. Well, on that note of people working collaboratively, I guess we Mm. should find out, even though it is an unusual episode, we still like to keep to our uh, rhythm, which is a shout out across the aisle. So is there someone who's done something this last week from an opposition party that you think deserves a shout out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Speaking of the NHS and its (laughs) under-resourcing, fair play to the MP... Um, oh God, where, where is she? Oh, for for Lewis in in um, is it East Sussex, Lewis? Yeah. East Sussex. Um, fair play to MP for Lewis, uh, Maria Colfield, who's a Tory. She is a nurse, and she's gone back to, uh, she's gone back to work as oh, a nurse. Oh, good on her. That's good. Mm-hmm. Back mm-hmm. to the front line. Well, my shout out across the aisle isn't actually to a UK politician. It's actually to the Dutch Prime Minister. As this week in the Dutch Parliament, the health minister was speaking at the dispatch box about the coronavirus and he collapsed from fatigue. And the day a day later, he actually resigned from government um, saying, I'm suffering from fatigue, I can't continue doing this job. And the Dutch prime minister, rather than promoting someone within his own ranks, he actually went to an opposition party and took their... Um, you know, health spokesperson and made them uh, the health minister saying political parties don't exist at the minute. We're one united front. Uh, You're the best person for the job. And I think that's, you know, really should be admired um, and, you know, kudos to the Dutch prime minister for doing that. Mm, 
Yeah. Do you know which party the... I have the... no idea. I don't know anything about Dutch politics. So. I wonder if it was, uh, yeah, I wonder if it was the, the Labour equivalent. I don't know. You can, you can fact check that another time. A, ga- a gal can dream. <laughs> well, dear listeners, um, Chloe and I have decided that this is going to be our last episode of season one. We're going to take a little break for the simple fact that uh, coronavirus is happening. Uh, it is almost the Easter holiday, so we were planning to kind of put a pause in our programming now anyway, and then we'll be back with a bang once hopefully uh, we have a leader of the Labour Party, if that still happens in April. Mm, do you think yeah. that still will happen? Yeah, should do, should I it? think so. I mean, it would be really silly to postpone it because all of the voting was done digitally anyway, and oh, it's been right. going on for, what, I mean, people have been voting for six odd weeks. So, yeah, it would be strange to delay it now. So that was always our plan to have like 10 episodes per season and we would have a little break now and wait until, you know, whoever is the new leader. So we've got something uh, something big to talk about there. But thank you so much for all of our listeners who've been like joining us. Yeah, we've loved it. Thus far, this has been really, really fun. And yeah. thank you so much. That's very kind. If you would like to drop us a little review if you've enjoyed the first season that would be massively helpful um like on the on the kind of apple um podcast app or wherever you listen please give us a little review that would be so kind and tweet about it as well we use the hashtag hashtag the after party podcast so please tell people about it and uh and we'll see you again very soon wonderful stay well everyone take care bye bye